Joy, thank you for reading for us. Do please keep that passage open in front of you. Uh, in fact, do, do keep chapter 6 open in front of you for the first little while. Would you turn back there? And I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Page 639 will be the place we'll start. Uh, let me pray. Father in heaven, your word is all uh, from you. It is good for us. And yet, uh, Proverbs is very unfamiliar to many of us. And so we pray that you would give us uh, light and insight this morning. Uh, Would you help me to speak your words? Help us to hear your words. And help us to live by wisdom. We pray for your glory. Amen. I should say, uh, this is not going to be a Jack and Ori story. The title of the the talk this morning, The Sluggard and the Noble Woman, uh, may come across in that way, but it certainly isn't going to be uh, Jack and Ori. Rather, uh, the sluggard and the noble woman are two characters that Proverbs presents to us as uh, models of uh, different approaches to work. That's our subject this morning. Before we get to that, though, uh, some preliminary comments are needed on the book of Proverbs, because I say it's fairly unfamiliar to us. First of all, if you've been uh, following this series, uh, you'll already know this, but Proverbs is a little bit all over the place. Uh, There's no uh, collection of, uh, here's a group of proverbs over here on work, here's a group of proverbs on uh, relationships, here's a group of proverbs on money. Actually, they're scattered all over the book, and I think that's quite deliberate, because one of the things that uh, Solomon, the the collector of proverbs, wants us to see is that all those different areas of life are interrelated, that you can't have uh, all the wisdom on work without having wisdom on other things as well, which makes a series like this one, inherently difficult. Uh, Difficult because we're going to want to gather together all the the wisdom proverbs about work and and look at them together. And that's difficult because they're scattered all over the book. That's not the way we normally teach through books of the Bible here. We like to take a passage and teach through it. But it's it's doubly difficult because the wisdom on work is related to all the other wisdom. So where do you stop? I mean, in the end, I could just try and teach the whole book of Proverbs to you in one session. But that'll be a bit too much for me, and I'm certain too much for you as well. So to some extent, what what I'm trying to do today, what Andy and I have been trying to do with this series, is a little arbitrary. You have to draw a line somewhere. You have to to gather together what you can teach and try and teach what uh, Proverbs says through it. So what I'm going to try and do is take those two passages that Joy read for us, and I I will refer to a few other Proverbs as we go to flesh them out, but those are our two passages this morning, and that's what I'm going to try and teach to us. I should say as well, Proverbs, because of the way it works, it might be that as, as we look at a proverb, you're left, your, your mind sort of wanders off into uh, things that the, the proverb provokes you. And I think that's okay, because that's kind of how proverbs work. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer it if everybody in the room wasn't sort of had their mind wandering all over the place. I hope what we're going to be looking at will be sufficiently stimulating. But that's the way proverbs work. And so if you're reading a proverb and you think, oh, she makes me think about that thing, hmm. then, you know, it's okay, go for it. Uh, Let me say as well, Proverbs can feel like they come from a very ordered world of cause and effect. So it's worth acknowledging, acknowledging, I think, where the wisdom books come in the unfolding story of the Bible. Because it can feel like uh, the wisdom books are very black and white. Do this and this happens, do this and this happens. But actually, if you know the wisdom books at all, you'll be aware that that's not how uh, wisdom works. You know, the book of Job is about a, a righteous man who suffers terribly. The book of Ecclesiastes repeatedly reflects on uh, how uh, the unrighteous people prosper. And so one of the things Proverbs is saying, this is the way you should live, this is the way the world ought to be. 
But it doesn't pretend that that's the way the world always is. And so as we look at this, as I, as I try and give us some wisdom from Proverbs on the area of work, uh, you mustn't think of it as absolutely black and white, hard and fast, because we live in a fallen world. And that's, uh, that's the challenge of Proverbs and the challenge of the wisdom books that I think the prophets come to answer. And we've been thinking about our Bible overview last year. The wisdom books are set up a problem that the prophets come and say the solution, that the, the way that we get to a world where the things that should happen do happen is the new creation that Jesus is bringing in. And that's what the prophets come to proclaim. Thirdly, it's worth noting that Proverbs is a book of the king of Israel. So it's Solomon speaking to his son as his son becomes a man. It's a book encouraging the pursuit of God's wisdom in all of life. And so, of course, it finds its fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the final son of Solomon. He's the the great king of Israel. And he is the one who is himself perfect wisdom. But of course, the book of Proverbs then comes to us as his people. If you're following Jesus here this morning, then uh, the book of uh, Proverbs comes to you as his wisdom to you in how to live like him, how to walk in his ways. So that's how we'll apply it. And finally, I've chosen two passages, and much in in the book of Proverbs on work. work. I've chosen these two passages because they come in the, the theological frames of the book. Chapters 1 to 9 and then 30 and 31 are are the interpretive keys to understanding the book as a whole. So that's where we'll focus our time. And then I hope that as you maybe read through Proverbs uh, this week and see all the Proverbs on work, you'll be able to see how they fit with what what I'm going to say this morning. So I hope that that sets the the context for our our little study this morning. And let's begin in chapters 1 to 9. They are uh, the direct speech of Solomon to his son telling him predominantly about two women, two metaphorical women. There is the the foreign woman, the prostitute, the uh, deceptive woman, and there is Lady Wisdom. Both ladies stand in the the market square crying out, uh, come to me and I will give you life. But one is deceitful and one does give life. And Solomon is advising his son to follow Lady Wisdom at all costs. And our first passage this morning comes in the middle of a section which is a warning against the foreign woman, against the, the, the adulterous woman. Uh, chapter, uh, end of chapter 4, chapter 5 is, is a warning against that woman. The end of chapter 6 on into chapter 7 is a warning against that woman. And in the midst you get a 19-verse block, 6 verses 1 to 19, which is uh, warnings against different paths that people who follow the, the adulterous woman might take. And 6... At 6 to 11, you'll have noticed, is in the middle of that block. So let's look at these verses and look at the sluggard, if we can. Verse at 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. This is, if you like, the archetypal proverb. If you think of proverbs at all, you'll think at nature sayings. Uh, The the wise man goes and observes something in nature and draws a a principle from it for life as a whole. Well, here is Solomon uh, taking his lazy son by the ear and dragging him out into the the courtyard outside and and thrusting his face towards the dead, saying, Look! Do you see the ant, son? Do you see him? You, Rehoboam, do you see that? Where's his master? Where's his slave driver? Where's the one who cracks the whip over him? He has none. And yet there he is, working hard, 
Small as he is, tiny mind as he has, he knows that if he doesn't gather in the summer and in the autumn, there'll be no food come the winter. And I, think, I don't think the point's hard to follow, is it? Robo, you're going to be king over all of this. You live in a palace, uh, lord of all you survey. But when I'm gone, who is going to be your slave driver? You'll have none. You'll have to make decisions without the slave driver over you. You don't have a paymaster saying, you must do this or you won't get paid. But neither does the ant son. Look at him. His urgency comes from the need to feed and clothe himself and his family, and so should yours. Solomon, be wise, he says to Rehoboam. Be wise. You're going to have to work hard, otherwise uh, it'll all go horribly wrong for you. Look, he says, verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands in rest. And poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. So we're not in the courtyard, really, are we? We're still in the bedroom. Roboam's a teenager and he's just refusing to get out of bed. Dad, I'm so tired. Let me sleep. We've all been there, haven't we? The alarm goes off in the morning, snooze, snooze. I'm going to be late for work. See, there's work to be done. But Rehoboam doesn't want to do it. And Solomon says, be wise, son. Look to the end. He knows enough about the future to know that when the snows come, you better have uh, the stores in place. So he knows that uh, poverty comes at an unexpected moment. If you're lazy, uh, if you just don't uh, put the work in, uh, then suddenly, all of a sudden, like the bandit, like the, the, um, the armed man who sneaks into your home and takes everything you have, Poverty will come. Even for you, Rehoboam, you're the, the king of all of this. But if you neglect your duties, then you will lose it all. At this point, you may be sitting there thinking, Ash, you've no idea how hard I work. The idea of me being lazy is, is, is absurd. Actually, that might be so. I'm teaching this passage in some ways because you have to be complete. You have to try and teach the whole book on work. And it may be for many of us, the last thing we're ever going to be is lazy with our work. Of course, there might be some here who resonate with that teaching very much. But I'd like to suggest two observations from Proverbs that I'd, I'd like, to, like us to consider that might help us to see where this might apply to us. And the first is this. Proverbs is written into a world in which uh, work life and home life, they're bound up together. As we'll see when we get to the, the noble woman. Many people would have kept their own animals, would have tilled their own land, would have had a little cottage industry in their house. The whole family gets involved. Everything you do is work. Your home life and your work life are bound up together. That was true for the king, who would have had parliament in his own home, in the palace. And it was true for the labourer uh, down the street. Which I think means we need, to, we need to stop thinking that work is just what we do to get paid in the office. So some of us might work really, really hard, whatever our job is. We work really hard at that. Are we so diligent in other areas of our lives? There's a danger, you see, that we think, I don't work. Maybe I'm a stay-at-home parent or a student or uh, I'm unemployed or I'm retired or whatever the thing might be. I think, I don't get paid, so this doesn't apply to me. But actually, in the, in the lived world of Proverbs, everybody worked, whether you got paid or not. Everything was work. It was keeping the home going. It was keeping the business going. And so it does apply to us. And so are there aspects of life 
that we've become lazy about? Are there aspects of domestic life that we've become lazy about? Are there things that we ought to be doing that we're not doing? I'm sure I work really hard at work, but I get home and I kick my shoes off and I do nothing. And so I don't keep an eye on the family finances or we don't keep the place clean. or we, you know, we, we let things go a bit to rack and ruin. I think Proverbs would say that's unwise. That Go to the end. See how hard he works. But secondly, and this is, is much, much harder to see, there's a sort of laziness that I think goes undetected until ruin comes. Let me read to you Proverbs 24 and verse 30 to 34. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone walls in ruins. I applied my heart to see to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. See, those last two verses are taken straight from chapter 6, aren't they? Where does, where does poverty come from, he says? Where does it come from? It comes from neglecting the field. Uh, the field becomes overgrown with weeds and thorns. It's useless for, for the harvest. The wall has fallen down, but you don't need the wall anymore. The wall is there to protect your crops against the wild animals who'd come in and eat it. Well, there's no crops there to protect anymore. Everything's just become unproductive rubbish. And the truth is, for most of us, if we kept a field, if we were farmers and we kept the field, we'd be out there. We'd make sure that the land was tilled properly, wouldn't we? We'd get the biggest harvest we could do. We'd, we'd take care of our property. But most of us, if we work at all, don't work in a world in which our, our workspace looks like that. You can't look at our work and say you've not kept your wall properly. So what are the tools of our trade? It's not the scythe, is it? It's not uh, the farm gear. It's our minds. It's our bodies. For many of us, have we let those things become overgrown? Have we, we let those things become tired? Have, have we let them go to rack and ruin? Are we keeping our minds sharp? Are we reading around the subject that we work in? Are we trying to keep ourselves current? Do we exercise? Do we keep our physical selves in the best shape we can do to do our jobs properly? It's not just laziness about doing the the tasks that we're given. See, the the sluggard might go out and really want to work and suddenly find that he's not able to because his, his, his physical property is unfit for the task. Have we become lazy? There's much more I could say about the sluggard. There's loads in the book of Proverbs on the sluggard. Do go away and have a look later. Let me give you one last uh, verse, though, which uh, many of us don't work for ourselves. The the sluggard uh, has his field. He doesn't look after it. It's his own business, and it's it's his own fault. But sometimes the sluggard works for other people. Here's a verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth, and smoke to the eye, so is the sluggard to the one who sends it. Vinegar to the teeth. Smoke to the eyes. You know that feeling of, oh, I can't really look. The sluggard is uh, torment to the person who employs it. You send him to do a job, he doesn't do it. You think, I've sent a message, the message is gone. But the person's just sat on his hands. He's a waste of space. Why does poverty come on the sluggard? It's because in the end, when the next round of redundancies come, he's the first to get the chop. He's just a pain. Can we just just be honest with ourselves? Are there areas in our lives where we've become like the sluggard? 
and what can we do about it? Of course, for many of us, the, danger, the last danger for us is laziness because we're incredibly driven people. I mean, for many of us, you don't get to live in Earlsfield unless you're a fairly driven person. And it may be that instead, what's pro- the problem for us is that we're driven by the wrong things. Andy was talking last week about money, and the chances are, for many in our society we know, and, and for many in our churches, the problem is not laziness, it's what drives us that's the danger. And we're driven by money. And the truth is, hard work and money go together, don't they? Proverbs twenty thirteen: Do not love sleep or you'll grow poor, stay awake and you'll have food to spare. There is a correlation, isn't there? you work hard... You get paid well. Don't work, don't get paid. It's, it's kind of, we know that's basic maths, isn't it? I read an article recently, I don't know how true this is. Um, somebody done some research in cities in Germany. They'd, uh, they divided the, the, the whole of Germany into cities that had chosen for the Protestant Reformation and those who'd chosen to remain Catholic. Uh, this, we're talking, you know, 1516, the beginning of the German Reformation, nearly 500 years ago. And they looked at earnings in those two cities today and you will earn about a euro an hour more in the former Protestant cities than in the Catholic cities. And why is that? At the Protestant work ethic. Work hard, study hard, uh, be prosperous. Those cities have a reputation for hard work. And so people get paid more, even 500 years after the Reformation. There is a a truth to this. Work hard and you'll be uh, well rewarded. And we've got to remember that having money is not a bad thing in the book of Proverbs. But the pursuit of money is not a good thing. Remember that really important verse Andy read to us last week, chapter 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Being poor is a a terrible thing in the Bible. Choosing poverty is a terrible thing in the Bible. Being the sluggard who ends up poor is a bad thing. But at the same time, being motivated by money, wanting to become rich at the expense of character is a terrible thing too. And that's probably more our danger. See, the book of Proverbs is really about pursuing wisdom, which means pursuing character. Honesty, diligence, integrity, hard work. That's really what the book of Proverbs is about. Living wisely, having the right character being like Christ. And wonderfully, at the end of the book, chapter 31, do flick there, we get this uh, brilliant example of the hard-working woman, the noble woman, the, uh, the wonderful uh, wife of noble character. And she is, if you like, the, the exemplary character in the whole book of somebody who gets this right, who lives out wisdom. These last 22 verses of Proverbs are probably the bane of most women's lives, isn't it? Down through the Christian centuries, people have read Proverbs 31 and gone, oh man, that's, that's too much, isn't it? It's too much. And we, we need to remember the context here again. Solomon is pleading with his son to pursue lady wisdom. She's a metaphorical woman. Don't pursue the foreign woman. Don't pursue the unrighteous woman. Pursue wisdom, not folly. And here right at the end of the book is the wife he should seek. Here is the woman who is a real woman who has uh, pursued metaphorical wisdom. She sat at the knee of wisdom and she's learned wisdom and now she's become the very model of wisdom herself. Which is to say she is the model Christian wife. 
And she's a real woman, a real model Christian wife. But we need to remember that this is a book that is written to, for Jesus. And who is Jesus' bride? It is the church. And so this is, a, it is definitely a passage about real Christian womanhood, but it's really a, book, a passage about real Christian living for all Christians, because we're all the bride of Christ. Notice this woman, verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Because chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. She's a wise woman, which means that verse 26, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instructions on her tongue. She's able to speak wisdom because she fears the Lord. She is somebody with a desirable family life, verses 11 and 12. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. Verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. I don't know if that, that chimes in with your family life. Um, obviously, I praise men like that all the time. Um, and, and, and our kids are just delighted with, with her all the time. Um, it's great, isn't it, though? Uh, that's not a disparaging comment on her, but on me. I should say that. You see, the family life is great, but the thing that's really striking about the wife of noble character is just how much time is given over to her work. But if you notice that, uh, as Joy was reading for us, verses uh, 13 through uh, to 25 are about the work she does and the result of the work she does. Now, there are, there are some people who will say that a Christian mother shouldn't work. And sometimes that might be right. But to, I, I've heard it from uh, good friends who would say it's absolutely wrong. Uh, a Christian mother should be at home, look after the kids, uh, keep the house. I, I always want to point them back to, to Proverbs 31. Here is the wife of noble character, the, the exemplary woman in the Bible. Verse 13, she selects wool and flax and works with her eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing their food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. See, here's a wife who has got domestic responsibilities. Do you notice that? Verse 15, she gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and for her servant girls. She takes her domestic responsibilities seriously. And she's up before dawn, but she's, she's working late into the night. Verse 18, her lamp does not go out at night. She's working solidly. Not just on her domestic responsibilities. She takes wool and flax. Verse 13, she spins it. Verse 19, she produces cloth and garments. Not only that, but she, she sees a field and she thinks that would make a great vineyard. I'll have a second business on the side. We'll do that as well. She's a really uh, uh, engaged, uh, thoroughly productive woman. Where's her husband? I don't know where her husband is. He, 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 uh, he seems to be uh, at the gate of the city. Perhaps he's, one of the, perhaps he's one of the elders of the city and his job is to, to judge. That's where he turns up. And she seems to be doing all the work. And she works hard. There are many results of her work. Verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate. That's where he is. 
one of the, the elders of the city, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes fine garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. So this is a woman who, who works hard, but she's not interested in becoming rich because the rich person, the person who's pursuing wealth, will not be the verse 20 person. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. Wherever she sees poverty, she fights it. People come to the door and say, I've, I've nothing to eat. She says, here, come and have a meal. Let me look after you. She's generous, you see. She has more than she needs, and she's generous with it because she's not about pursuing wealth. She's about looking after her family, and she has no fear for her family, verse 21. Even when the snows come, they're well clothed, clothed in scarlet. And she's clothed in purple. These are, these are the colours of royalty. Very expensive to dye clothes purple in these days. So to, to make uh, purple clothes for your kids, that's, that's more than just getting Bowden off the internet. You know. Uh, her husband is respected in the city. Uh, people talk to him and they say, your wife is such a good woman. Hard-working, diligent, uh, faithful, honest. She's a great wife. Uh, she, she makes things, she sells things. Verse 25, I think, is, is super, isn't it? How many of us face down the future and laugh? She's clothed with strength. Uh, she's got these great strong arms, verse 17, from all the labour she's done, all the hard work she's done, and she's fit and ready to face down uh, the days to come. She has no fear for the future. She works hard, she provides for her family. Whatever comes, they'll be all right. Oh, uh, a colleague, guy I used to work with, I say work with, he, he volunteered at the church. He was well retired. He must have been into mid-late 80s now. Still going strong. Brilliant, brilliant old chap. He's one of his children is one of the senior pastors in commission, actually. I remember him telling me that he retired from the city at 55, uh, 30 years ago now. And he said within two years, all the guys who'd retired with him were dead. Because they stopped doing stuff. They were lazy. They worked really hard in the city, and when you took their work away from them, they had nothing left. Didn't spend time with their families, didn't know what to do with them. Their kids had all grown up and left home. Didn't do sports, didn't do anything outside of work, and so they became lazy, idle. Their minds gave up, their bodies gave up. He says, it's not a surprise. This is a guy who retired and went and sat on General Center of the Church of England for 25 years. It's a guy who goes travelling around the country into his 80s telling people about Jesus. He's a, I mean, a wonderful guy who looks about 60. He's kept strong by his labour. He faces the future with joy. He knows that God provides and he gets on with it. You consider the sluggard folding his hands, refusing to work, uh, wearied, atrophied body, couldn't work if he wanted to. And here is the woman who laughs at the future. And the sluggard is careless about the future and lazy in the present and comes to ruin all of a sudden. The city worker type, they're, they're anything but lazy, but motivated by the wrong things, motivated by money. Uh, the person motivated by money will compromise their character to make the next deal, will uh, sell their integrity short to uh, persuade that person to buy. What does the wise woman teach us? That we work hard to care for our families and care for the poor around us. We work hard because our Christian character says, be diligent, be full of integrity, be honest, be hard-working, 
That's what you were made for. And if we do those things, by and large, we'll be provided for. Not hard and fast. It's not black and white. Hard times will come on some people. But the church will bear that. And we'll look after each other. Because, of course, having this character means, verse 20, you open your arms to the poor. Somebody falls on hard times and we just take care of them, don't we? Uh, Proverbs is about choosing the fear of the Lord as the path to life. Here Solomon calls to us across 30 centuries and says, whatever you do, don't be idle, but don't love money either. Instead, love wisdom. Seek to live by wisdom. What will that look like for you tomorrow? I guess it will mean not hitting the snooze when when your alarm goes off in the morning. It means delighting to serve God with honesty and integrity uh, each and every day. Put your hard work in. It'll mean, I guess, reviewing our lives and thinking, are there areas where I've become lazy? And and what do I need to do to change that? Are you taking proper care of your your property? I guess if the gutter starts overflowing in your house, you're going to go, got to get that sorted because it'll ruin the the wall. Would you do the same with your own body, with your own mind? Will you seek to make repairs before the wall falls down and the weeds come up? And it means being generous because that flows out of a a Christian character too. I'm going to pray and then questions? Yeah, two minutes of questions. Let me just pray. Father in heaven, you are very, very good and you know the world that you've made and you know how it works and you know what is good for us to do. And you call on us to have a character like Christ's and to work hard and to, uh, to love one another, love our families, take care of each other. Father, would you make us a church that's just like that for the sake of your name? Amen. In the interest of, of getting finished before tea time today, we've got two minutes only for questions, but I thought uh, we're in Proverbs and, it's, and it is difficult to understand and, and hard to apply at points. So if you've got questions off the back of what I've said, um, do throw them out there. Otherwise, we'll move on to the next song. Yes. As you talked about motivation and um, it should be money, what about the joy? Can she enjoy doing something? I really hope that you have a lot of joy in, in all the things that you do, Nish. Um, and and the thing is, I think there is, you know, I think when you read this uh, passage about the noble wife, you do get the, the sense that, that she's, she rejoices in what she does. Don't we're told that? I think that her, her domestic situation is, is very encouraging. Um, so there's certainly something in, in doing a joyful job, but the fact is many of us, much of the time, work is just a bit of a grind. We live in a fallen world, and getting up and doing the same thing for 40 years can be really, really hard. Um, so yeah, if you, if you find there is real joy in your job, brilliant, um, and, and do it because you enjoy it. But do it with the right character as well. We do, it, do it because you want to do the right things. But equally, if you find your job is a bit of a pain, and you know, to be honest, you'd quite like to punch your boss, and you know, you'd quite like to change careers entirely and be a scuba diving instructor in the Maldives, then you know, still get up and do it with the right character.